Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Hi, everyone. This is episode 114 of FI Goes PC. And as always, I'm your host, Robertson, aka Danny Howell. And yes, we were delayed. We were delayed. We have explained this on Twitter, but if you don't use Twitter, uh, I don't blame you. I don't. They won't let me on. Uh, I'm too controversial um, because, uh, you know, I exist and therefore I am controversial. Um, but yeah, no, we weren't here. It was Chinese New Year, Lunar Year of the Tiger. And uh, we had a little celebration here and it kind of went on longer than we anticipated. Therefore, we were just not able to uh, just sit down with all of you uh, and talk last time. But we are back. We are here. And uh, yeah, we, 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 we got stuff to talk about. Finally, it's very good. Because sometimes, you know, you kind of get wrapped up in stuff. And I'll admit to everyone listening, I was a bit wrapped up in the whole joe rogan controversy um that's a personal thing to me uh i didn't really want to talk about it because last time i think if i'd done the podcast when we were meant to i would have ranted on and on about how stupid it all is and unfair it is to podcasters especially joe rogan uh mostly because i feel like the things that everyone's deeming as misinformation and you know controversial i actually feel was very important stuff that we should all be listening to um so it's sad because a lot of people out there that I respect, especially in the academic fields, they wouldn't even give it a fair shout because they're just reading the headlines and, oh, it's controversial, so I won't listen to it. It just got me riled, and I didn't want to bore everyone listening about it because I know for a fact that if you're caring about anything in the podcast world, you'll know about it. If you're in America, you'll know about it. Uh, for sure, because it's all over the news out there. And if you're in the UK, some of you will know about it. And, you know, it's one of these things that's done to death. We don't all have to mention it and, and talk about it, but it really was grating for me. Um, I feel like the conversation of cancel culture and misinformation and all these propagated thoughts online and media and politics and stuff, it's all rather silly. I prefer to, uh, you know, think of better things like grass growing and uh i don't know paint drying and stuff like this which has equal importance uh in in the world i am not alone fresh from her trip in fortune cookie heaven is our producer winifred say hello hello i didn't know you were in fortune cookie heaven me neither no, and it fortune was... cookies are not a chinese new year thing either <laughs> well i mean they're a Anytime you uh, want to have a racial stereotype sure. on, uh, on, on anything. You, I did you have, have some Chinese New Year snacks, though. You did? Yeah. You, you actually got them. Uh, some of them are very authentic, like Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> uh, that's uh, one that I noticed. Everyone in Hong Kong, if you're listening out there, that's you'll know. Classic. Yeah, you'll know that you will always have Ferrero Rocher. It's actually funny because 7-Eleven, an American company, which really came into its own in Asia, because the Asian 7-Elevens are far, far, far superior than the ones in the USA. Yeah, like it's not really a racial stereotype, is it, Fortune Cookie? It's, it's a very American thing mm-hmm. uh, that when you are from, say, Hong Kong or China, um, you are like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. I've never seen this before. 
So I think it's important to say this because now I think you probably find them out there. It's it's one of these weird things that happens in culture. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you'll see it and it's totally alien. And then the next thing you know, it's so quaint. It's back there where you started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A good example of that is in Hong Kong, there's a street food, right? Which is anything that you find that's food on the street. Everyone knows that. And it's basically a waffle, but it's bubble. Oh, bubble yeah. Bubble waffles. Egg waffles, bubble waffles. Knees and toes. Um, egg waffle, bubble waffle. What are we starting like a hip hop group? Anyway, <laughs> it's a bubble waffle, right? Now you've seen these popping up here in the UK. Like Birmingham's got a few of them. I'm pretty sure London will have a few of them. Manchester probably has. Anywhere with a Chinatown or a, a Chinese population. And we've got a lot more here in the UK now since a lot of them have fled. Um, but basically these things are you know they were so exclusively hong kong for like years mm. for years and years and years and then now they're here mm. strange like yes. boba tea or bubble tea yes taiwanese essentially and i was everywhere so it's it's a weird thing because like fortune cookies are a thing that was invented in the usa and then they found themselves here which we never had them here in the uk either mm. and uh suddenly it's in hong kong so it's, it's a weird thing now i'm saying this because there's going to be an american right who's listening who's quite young i'd imagine and i've always been an american i've always presumed that whatever they have in the usa is what things are like outside the usa mm. right especially in asia or europe and then when they go to europe and don't find it which is classically the experience yeah right they're like Hold on, this is way different from anything Very we've had. disorientated. Because I, I remember this when I was 15, I first went to Hong Kong. And I remember the food being very different. Mm. Very different. Like nothing really represented anything I ever had here. Where it's a very kind of stripped down English take on Asian food or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you first go there and experience like authentic tribal stuff, the first thing that came to my notice was that like Italy... The Chinese food culture has like about 160 different variable cultures of food. Yeah, regions. That are very, very different mm-hmm. from just Chinese food, whatever <laughs> that means. It's kind of like you, you got to think people in the USA should look at China as kind of like a miniature version of Africa, mm. whereas Africa is a continent. And it's taken many, many years for people to realize that it's a continent, not a country, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because the USA is so unique in the fact that it's a massive, almost continent size, but split into states, not countries. Yeah. It's kind of more balanced as in you leave California, you go to New York and you'll still see stuff that you had back in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's in familiar. New York. Well, there's brands like Chili's and there's unilaterally national chains and stuff. Mm-hmm. McDonald's is a good example. yeah. Whereas China, there's completely different cultures. Like provincial, like Shanghai to say Canton, totally different food. 100%. You can't even, it's not even close in likeness, Mm -hmm. you see. And that's kind of like Africa, essentially. Like from Nigeria to say Zimbabwe, the food will have differences all over the place. Absolutely. And Italy, which is a smaller place. North and South. Italy, as we like to call the boot of Europe. Um... (laughs) the high heel stiletto boot of Europe, um, that has multiple different food cultures. So when we label stuff as just Indian or Chinese or Italian, we should learn better than that 
It's regional. So even Indian food has different cultures. I don't know why I'm talking about food. <laughs> Are probably... you hungry? <laughs> <laughs> not really. Not really. One thing that was a big culture shock to me was actually having Chinese food in America the first time mm. as a kid. Because at this point, I was probably 11 or something. And the culture hadn't really... I hadn't seen enough movies yet to see all of the kind of iconic symbols I have, like the takeaway boxes. We've we've said this before, but they're so unique to America. Yeah. The way they're designed and everything like this. And it's fascinating because it doesn't exist in, like in Hong Kong. They just it's almost like they throw it in a styrofoam thing and say, Here you go. See you later, you know, like it it's a whole different culture of, of food, you know. I think there was a uh, documentary on BBC that or, or like a clip or something, looking at a Chinese takeaway in Britain, and I saw them use those paper well, boxes. That's what I'm saying. The culture, recently. like in London especially, right? The culture mm. eventually finds its way here. Yeah. You know, it's it's a strange phenomenon. Phen- phenomenon. Phenomenon. It's, it's a strange phenomenon. <laughs> it's a phenomenon. How do you say it? Phenomenon. That's the Undertaker. He's a phenom. That's what? what I say. Yeah, the uh, former wrestler. The Undertaker is the phenom. Phenomenal. Uh-huh. It's a phenomenon. Phenomenon. It's a phenomenon. <laughs> it is a weird word. I feel like I'm Benedict Cumberbatch saying penguin. Phenomenon. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's a very strange occurrence that happens where we sort of imitate each other's thing. Like it is. It. I. I remember here in the UK we used to have like um, sort of like microwave meals or like ready meals or whatever that were chinese i think the company was tiger or something and they were boxed in the same american boxes but mm. we, we never had that here in takeaway mm. takeaway here was very simply it was like for the longest time it was foil these four containers were like a cardboard top <laughs> and then that became all plastic yeah since we became you know more uh, environmentally friendly <laughs> you know um, it's it's really interesting in japan the food culture of tokyo was really interesting mm-hmm. you know especially dominoes Dom- like it's the strangest thing but dominoes and mcdonald's was the best i've ever had in tokyo mm. it's it's a really sad admission what did you have on the pizza bulgogi beef yeah i i went for pizza? the korean pizza in japan that was interesting that's not a culture shock in any sense <laughs> Well, you know, like my whole theory was, you know, Domino's as far as Domino's gets is not much different wherever you are in the world. Mm. It's either more simple, a lot more variables or whatever, but it's more or less the same thing. And yet they did this Korean thing, bulgogi, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And I'm really glad I tried that. Yeah. But the, the Japanese food culture is like everything, especially McDonald's, like here in it's you could do a documentary. I know they did Super Size Me a while back where mm-hmm. the guy lives off McDonald's for a to month. see the, the health issues and stuff. Correct. Like there's gonna be some dude, like I can tell you that much. But um, you know, for me, I've had it's a weird cultural experience. I remember being in South Spain when I was a kid and McDonald's was kind of like it was so rare to south of Spain that it became, I wouldn't say like an upmarket thing, but it felt like it. And they had this one on the beach mm. that was like enormous and it, it, like a the perfect beach bar. And instead of having a drive, they had like a walkthrough. Okay. I actually had that. 
where all the kids that had just come up from the like surfing or doing whatever they're doing on the beach just came in and grabbed the burger and it was like living in a hollywood movie it was like point break <laughs> or something it was like surf dude culture in spain it was a very strange thing but the whole thing was like because it's so rare the 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 consideration and care is so intense and it is expensive compared to spanish food which mm. is mind-blowing yeah and i have said this i think i mentioned it about burger king in spain it was always like if you're going to take your girl out for a posh date it's very <laughs> thing it's, it's such a weird thing to say whereas in the uk mcdonald's was always like the thing you gave your kids if they were doing well at school it was like a treat when mm. i was a kid not because of it being expensive but because it was like disney it was like an extension of all of those things that kids seem to like you know because when we were kids it was more active you have coloring books you have like there was a lot of effort for the kids it wasn't just happy meals it was like a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and uh, they had play areas and things in the in the restaurants and stuff like this so i think some places in america still do that yeah i think i remember some in california have an outside park well these whatever. these days they have uh <laughs> tablets i believe yeah. pre-pandemic and all these new sort of like well, game I mean, tablets for the kids that's because we're automating our children <sighs> we, we want them all to be symbiotic robots we don't want them to be outside playing yeah because it means i'll live longer slides are better no you need to uh terminate their hopes and dreams as fast as you can and just put it on a screen you see no. everything became well everything's gone three-dimensional to two-dimensional and then virtually three-dimensional yeah it's a very strange thing that's going. It's a weird u-turn it is. It's well. It's a weird. Like you going flatten everything. To go forward. Sure, you flatten everything and then pop it up again, mm. like a pop-up book. But you know the, the cultures of this stuff growing up. Like I do remember, you know, you have your first memories. It sounds really sad because nowadays I just feel like it, it's so rudimentarily part of life. Every city's got a McDonald's and everyone just flows in and out of it and stuff like this. But in Tokyo it seems vastly different from anywhere else I've ever been. It felt like a precision job. Everything looked like the pictures, for example. It wasn't over-exaggerated. It was a perfect rendition of. Mm. And there's pseudo-communal centers like Hong Kong. Most McDonald's are 24 hours, and therefore they're a cheap hotel for a lot of people. You find when you're in Hong Kong, like people crash there and they've worked their job and they just don't want to go home so they sleep there and stuff like this transitory location yeah. yeah it's kind of like very reminiscent of the ones in london whereas the one in tokyo almost felt like a neighborhood watch <laughs> center you know like it was there's a lot of lot more elderly mm. in, in the one in tokyo a lot more families going there and stuff very different culture um what didn't help that well, actually exaggerated that was when Pete and I were there uh, near Rapongi, and there was like nothing but super elaborate car garages like Lamborghini, Ferrari and Ooh. Maserati and stuff right, were right, outside. Right. <laughs> and you're just like, this just doesn't feel like anything I've ever lived. Such a weird vibe. It was like McDonald's in Beverly Hills, mm. essentially. Very strange. But yeah, so you talk about... Um, really anything you can think of like any expectation you have as an international person of asia going into asia and it's it's always going to be a totally different experience if you've only visualized say korea seoul through k-dramas mm -hmm. or you've only seen japan through 
um anime anime or well yeah but i mean anime nothing looks like that in reality essentially but like a japanese film or something like this or you you've only seen uh hong kong through a bruce lee film you mm. know it it's so vastly different when you actually get there can't wait to travel again well that's really what i was alluding to <laughs> all of these things are coming back i feel i mean <sighs> from a british perspective i feel like we've really had like you can you can review these years and we've really had no airplanes in the sky really uh until recently yeah, the last couple it's of been weeks sparse. And it's always like night flights now. You know, you very rarely get days. But I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, it's been more frequent. Mm-hmm. That's been one of the weirdest things for two and a half years is that it, it really does feel like this very isolated situation is going on, you know. I don't know what it would be like if you're in LA. I think I feel like travel in America never really stopped because airplanes in America is how you go and see your mom in Texas. You yeah. know, it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's always... It's a baffling thing. If you're ever in the USA as a visitor, if you if your family goes to Florida, if you ever have the opportunity to take a plane to a neighboring state, like fly from Florida to Georgia and go to see Atlanta for a day trip or something, it's a very interesting experience as a culture because it just feels like a bus ride. It it you know you got international flight, which most of us associate is mm-hmm. that big trip. Yep. somewhere. And it's for a, a couple of weeks, you know, or whatever. But to average Americans, it's almost like how you commute to work <laughs> in a lot of cases, you know. It's it's um it's very frequented. And I, I a lot of my friends out there were saying that it never really stopped. Yeah. I don't think the restrictions were really that uh strict state by state, but um and uh, in other countries obviously it's been quite strict even like i heard uh, in australia western australia like the state of western state essentially uh was entirely locked down to the rest of the country until recently yeah um and also in canada joel hi joel uh who just got married well he never wanted anyone to know about it <laughs> so you've just ruined that well not just last year um he told me that he uh, they weren't allowed people from outside of their um of their vancouver uh, outside of BC, right, right, right. Yeah, that were allowed to attend the wedding. Well, so. it's it, it's really interesting because you always hear it, it feels like every nation right now is listening about other nations, going, "Geez, they're really strict and extreme," mm. you know. But we've we've all had a form of the same thing. I think Canada and Australia have both been, especially in the Western countries, I suppose, um, they've been the strictest mm. for sure, with rational reason. But there's been so many cases where you hear of. People who went to Canada for like a week yeah. or something that have been stuck there for two and a half years. You yep. can't get out. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Australia's obviously had the controversy with all the camps and a lot of uh, controlled camps and stuff like this for people coming in, quarantine zones mm. and stuff like this. My cousin is stuck there right now. Right. But, you know, <laughs> just to put into context, Australia's some seriously, um, well, it wasn't long ago they had that huge fire, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the East Coast. And also they've got a lot of uh, wildlife that they're always extremely protective of. So customs in Australia is always basically horrible. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I can only imagine because I've never been, but I've heard so many stories of people who have. I can almost imagine it's like when you get sent to jail, you have to empty all of your stuff out. Yeah, you know, everything gets examined. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even uh, even your toes. Yeah. 
I, I don't know if that part's true, but no, it's because uh, if you have muddy boots, they well, have that's a the point. With there's, that. there's, yeah. It's almost like the TSA originated in Australia. This the, the new security laws of America mm. are kind of based on it, you know, because anything can affect the wildlife in Australia. Mm -hmm. It's such a fragile thing, you see. So there's a logic to it, but it it seems completely mental to people coming in there. I suppose. Mm -hmm. So I can understand the idea of extra security essentially but i do think people have just gone the extra mile these days to sort of <laughs> show that they're more caring and considerate by being more dystopian it's a it's a weird climate of thought you know yeah i feel sword. i feel we've got it right i feel we've got it right because we've got a guy uh we all know boris uh, who's in power and uh well, he's a cartoon character, isn't he? So it's basically <laughs> like we've got it right because if you had someone sensible, it'd be terrifying. Mm. It? If you think about it, because if they did their job right, we'd <laughs> uh, we'd never get out of this situation. Mm. You know, it's it's sadder when you hear of places like New Zealand to me who did stuff really well at the start of it, now getting affected, they're having to shut things down. Mm. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I'm glad we're in a foolish place where we. <laughs> We did a lot of bumbling and fumbling and then we got through it all, essentially. Mm. But it's nothing to be proud of. Like That's the one thing I really don't like about this is when governments are really gloaty about getting it right and yeah. they're all like, oh, yeah, you know, fantastic here. And, you know, we did, we uh, we gave more uh, elastic bands out than any other nation. <laughs> the, the whole thing is, you know, the, this pride of stuff is completely ludicrous. Yeah. We as a nation should be proud of the citizens of our nation for being conscientious about everything you know because i actually feel a sacrifice was never for the government it was literally for our neighbors and mm. doing what's right essentially which you know in many british productions we like to claim is our british national right stuff if you ever see a world war ii documentary it's how we rally up and, oh right you know, we're never gonna win because we've got no money and we've We've got no weapons, but we're going to hit you with brollies. That's what we're going to do. Smack you over the head with an umbrella until you leave our country, <laughs> which pretty much is how World War II was for us. <laughs> you know, like we just ran out of everything. We had we were bankrupt yeah. at the end of it. The phrase keep calm and carry on is very much that that mentality. Yeah, oh, well. but it's again, these are things that you shouldn't really be proud of. You know, like America had so much... Uh, during world war ii because it wasn't directly attacked mm. i mean apart from pearl harbor which was yeah. still far enough away from mainland america it wasn't really attacked so all their resources were stocked up mm. whereas we'd run out of all of ours because we did i feel like europeans problem in any war in any sense is it's almost like no there won't be a problem yeah. and then everyone turns up i mean like mm. we're very proud of our you know empire classically here a lot of the young aren't like mm. especially myself i'm not really too proud of an empire of any sense but i can see why you would have pride to it you know but um what's really funny is we're a nation that was invaded by everything before mm -hmm. and it is always that case where we just don't believe it until it turns up yep we get so kind of almost pompous on our own sort of effort of just being self-indulgent and grateful for ourselves that we're easy cannon fodder. And I think that's changed. I think nowadays there is a definite rift happening between the public and politics. Mm. You know, I feel like a lot of citizens around the world are more or less getting to that point where we'll just let them do whatever they think they're doing. Mm-hmm. 
and we'll just carry on, you know. Yeah. There's a bit of a separation between yeah. uh, what's portrayed in the media and reality boots on the ground. Well, I would, you know how everyone talks about automating jobs and it's mm-hmm. quite controversial because I think Amazon and people like this are really focused on that. Yeah. Where the majority of manpower isn't going to be essential. It will all be robotic or mm-hmm. whatever. I feel like politics should be the same thing. <laughs> I know, I know. What? How? I, well, because everyone's got this negativity of saying, well, you know, if like the AI takes over, we're all screwed. I actually think artificial intelligence would love nothing more than a bureaucratic job. Because it's all logic and forms and filling and just orders. And that's what robots love. It's not like Terminator. It's, it's too much effort to go out and wipe the humanity yeah, out. Yeah, but you couldn't have the leader, like, like the, the, the overall, like, I, I know what you mean, like the bureaucratic elements of government, that could work, like, in terms of functional well, and administrative. I, I think our <laughs> government essentially has shown that it doesn't need to do a job. Here's the thing, right? When we were cavemen, which was, for me, a couple of months ago, when we <laughs> when we were prehistoric, you know, before we wrote what we were doing and that became history before that the leaders of any tribe or anything in nature was the strongest it was the alpha it's like a wolf pack mm. the biggest most strongest because would, would rule the pack is they had to care for everybody else yeah not just that but it's essentially like if there was anything threatening the tribe mm-hmm they were the ones that could protect the tribe. Exactly, Like yeah. physically protect or intimidate or whatever. It started from there. Mm. It became more intellectual over time. But if you think about just that rule, which human alive would put the people that we've got in government right now? Like if you had an option of infinite people, like America, you could put the rock in as president, which, you know, again, we've referred to a lot of people have. He just seems like the guy you want to run the country, <laughs> right? Because he's intimidating. Mm. He represents. Yeah. He represents modern America probably better than anyone else because he's multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. you know, from tribal ethnicity as well, uh, being the fact that his Samoan heritage is actually tribal. Mm-hmm. And it's it's he's an amazing guy. We all agree with that. I don't know about Britain. I think Jason Statham would be good. For the UK, mm. you know, he's a lung, he's a London native. He can fend off. <laughs> he well, he knows martial arts. Yeah, yeah. He's mm-hmm. uh, it ter- Can you imagine? You like Boris phones Putin. I mean, that's a that's a film in itself. Boris phones Putin. You know, like Frost Nixon. <laughs> yeah. Boris Putin, right? Boris phones. I'd get Matt Lucas to play Boris Johnson. <laughs> Just get the right wig. If you had. Boris Johnson phoning Putin, you know it's just going to be nonsense. Mm. Here's a guy that is ex-KGB, right, who's an extremely calculated individual. I actually have a lot of respect for Vladimir Putin. I've said that before. I'm, I have no shame in saying that because he's a serious guy. He's, a, he's, he's not the perfect guy, but there's never going to be a perfect leader, right? But he is a guy that I actually think could represent the alpha of a country Mm. very clearly if you had a 10 options of who you'd want to you know run russia essentially he'd be up there he Mm. would if it was a talent contest which it kind of is (laughs) what politics yeah Yeah. but (laughs) boris definitely wouldn't be in the group you wouldn't pick boris for your football (laughs) team would you really you know like if you think about it 
So when Boris is on the phone to Putin, Putin's going to be laughing mostly at Boris because Boris is exactly what Putin thinks he is, right? Because yeah. it is what it is. But if you put Jason Statham on the phone to Putin, mm. you'd be terrified, wouldn't you? <laughs> right? You need that kind of intimidation. Uh-huh. Plus, we know we'd have a better relationship with America because I don't know if you've seen Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's perfect. You see? I've thought about this deeply mm. for at least five seconds. But anyway, I'm just saying, like, we should look into this whole structure because I think more than ever, the public and the government are very, very separate. There's yeah. a rift. It almost feels like we're just watching the crowd mm. when we watch the House of Commons these days. It's so unrelatable to folks. Yeah. There's no opposition with charisma. There's no there's just no point to any of it. But if we changed it and made it the actual person we think we should have to run the country essentially, yeah, it might be brilliant. Mm. You guys don't get to vote your guy though. No, no, we've talked about that. It's uh, houses, uh, it's the seats in parliament that we fill. Yeah. And then the party in power elects a leader, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Different kind of democracy well, they, system. Democracy is, it, I, I honestly believe at one point it was a real thing. Mm. And I think over time, especially like I said last time, uh, three weeks ago, uh, you know, lawyers have intermingled too much that the, the, the whole system now is is turned into almost what you can get away with as opposed to anything that's really good yeah. for a nation. And it's also interrupted. There's so many favors that every nation owes other nations, uh, and, you know. Yeah, it's not honest anymore. Well, one thing, and it's going to be controversial, I say this, but one thing that Trump had as an ideology, I think a lot of people, you see, the thing is, right, Donald Trump's rhetoric and policies were literally stuff that you could read on the internet three years before he got into election. Yeah. For example, bringing all industry back to the USA, people were talking about that all over the internet. It's been discussed, you know. It's just logical because you get to that point where you're building everything outsourced and stuff and everything has become this global, almost corporate traffic that there's nothing to distinguish your country anymore. That's the problem we're having. We'll travel to, say, from here to Dubai. And mm. as soon as we get to Dubai, there's an H&M, there's a Subway, there's a McDonald's, yeah. there's a KFC. I think there was a W.H. Smith last yeah. time I went through. W.H. Smith, uh, there was one in Chicago too, mm. in Illinois. Yeah. Um, but basically, you're just seeing sort of things that we all have, mm-hmm. right, rather than independent things. And I feel like that's the future we got to look at. That's why I say like social media should have alternative, like it shouldn't all be run by one or two companies. It should all have, the USA has a domestic system. The UK has a domestic system, et cetera, et cetera. Because that's how you can guarantee that there's nothing sketchy going on. Because they've, they've recently discovered there's troll farms. Yeah. Have you heard about this? No. Yeah, you know those little uh, toys that you got with the spiky hair? With the weird hair? hair, yeah. Yeah, there's loads of farms with them in it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> They're pushing like tractors <laughs> and I don't know why you push a tractor. They should be driving They're it. really ugly things, those trolls. I don't know. Like you literally only bought them because they had different color hair and stuff well, and they were collectible. Well, or... it, it's interesting because there's an original cult of it, like a uh, sort of semi-culture back in the 70s mm. 
and it was like really naff ones that used to fit on your pencils and stuff yeah then there was a rebirth of it in the 90s where mm-hmm. they actually put them like I had one that was wearing a surgical outfit. Okay. With a face mask, ironically. Mm, mm. Right, but you could have one that's dressed like Dracula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never had one, by, but my friends did. And then the next evolution of it, they actually had a cartoon, and they tried to make it a bit more cuter, mm-hmm. and they changed it by being super amazing and inventive by adding a Z to the end, so it was trolls, trolls in uh, the time of brats. Yeah where it was just cool to change S's and put a Z, you know, those times. <laughs> that was sort of 2000 plus yeah. where we started becoming rubbish at spelling, you know. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, but there's now farms is the point. What do they farm them for? No, they don't farm trolls. The trolls are at the farms. Uh, what are they farming? Just doing farm work. It's very boring. Oh. I'm not sure why. Okay. I mean, you're a former celebrity. It could do something far better than that. You used to have merchandise, for Christ's sake, you know. But I always thought they lived on bridges, personally, (laughs) you know. Well, like Billy Goat's Gruff. I don't know about that, but I know that trolls trolls live under bridges and they ask you for money when you cross. They're basically loan sharks. They're loan sharks. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, no, serious note, they've just said, like, all of the you know, how the election's been interrupted or yeah. this and that. And everyone's blaming each other and stuff like this. I always have a theory. Like, for me, it's clear cut. And this is what I'm going to leave everyone with, basically, because you know how I do it. I I like to give you a couple of weeks to think on this stuff that, I don't know, drives you mad. And then never approach it again as a conversation. <laughs> but one thing I'll say is, like, here's my simple basic understanding. And someone can correct me in the comments. Again, they never have, but they can. Um, Firstly, in a pandemic, most likely the epicenter of anything like that has the biggest numbers of infected, Mm. right? So that'll give you answers. Mm. Now, I do agree a nation can doctor that. Mm. They can lie, et cetera, et cetera. Depends on how they count things. Mm -hmm. Or they just you know, change numbers and say, well, we only had five when like half their population's yeah, dead. Yeah. But I don't think you can get away with that. I think we're in a time where satellites and stuff like that can obtain information quite easily because everyone's tracking everyone. We're not in a time where there's a lot of gray zones on the planet. It's all pretty much CCTV everywhere. We, we can all to, spy. We have to accept all the all the small print and cookies and right. stuff. So <laughs> for everyone to wonder where the pandemic emanated from and and et cetera, et cetera, chances are you're going to get the place that has the biggest numbers is where it came from, essentially. Mm-hmm. Likewise, likewise, whoever is basically guilty of, say, I don't know, censorship and submersive actions will have a historical record uh, where they have done those sort of tactics and things Mm. before, historically. And I feel like, you know, that's the biggest myth buster that you'll have with who did what in the election, you know. Mm. I will say to the younger folks um, who probably are really engaged in a lot of this stuff, there's always been issues with the U.S. election, especially like Florida recount and Bush was a really good example of that mm-hmm. when it was Bush versus Al Gore. These are names from ancient history now. Uh, George <laughs> W. 
and <laughs> Al Gore. But, you know, there's always been controversy that nothing's been free and easy in democratic states. The UK is the same, essentially. Mm. You know, we've always had a very weird democratic system where if the highest leading house party, meaning the most seats in parliament go to this, it's very hard then to have an opposition clearly winning it. Mm. Things stack against the opposition quite quickly here. And we don't have anything like a Senate system. Like America's got like 27 different bureaucracies and things and different levels and all this stuff. We just really have one. And then local government, which is your MPs, the members of parliament. It's very boring and bland, but we, we are boring and bland here. Our stuff is not very fireworks. And you know, one thing I will say is no prime minister was ever interviewed at Downing Street. It would all happen at parliament. Right. memory okay yeah but now we've got the little podium mm-hmm. and it's almost like we're trying to represent the white house mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a big difference white house has a massive lawn massive lawn you can have fireworks and stuff you can have brass bands we literally have our prime minister stand in front of a street <laughs> a terraced house street nonetheless <laughs> so yeah underwhelming it's, yeah very underwhelming well, I did learn something recently after watching a bunch of uh, Korean TV stuff. I didn't realize this, but the president's house in Seoul is the Blue House. Oh, is it? Yeah. But it's an imperial sort of palace type looking thing. Okay. And it's not blue. Uh, so it's confusing. It's called the Blue House, it's but it's the not blue, house. blue. I guess it's just very cold in that region, you know? Mm. Or hmm. it's got some of the best music you'll ever hear. Maybe it should have been called the, the House blues. of Blues. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that used to be in California too. They went down, uh. sadly. But um, yeah, no, uh, I just feel like I should sort of leave you with this until next time. And that is always question and always keep your mind open to opposing viewpoints because within your perspective, an opposing alternative perspective you will find the truth. I'll give you an example. I always was reluctant with Korean dramas mm. because the first few that I watched were uh, in the early days of Korean TV shows and I just couldn't get into them. They all seemed rather silly and unobtainable and almost like um, maybe too naive or something like this. But over time, they've got really sophisticated mm-hmm. and I feel like we're, we're closing in the gap, the East versus the West. In the future, they could be just as prevalent as anything that's come out of the UK and the USA, and I hope so. I think there's a lot of skill and talent over there, Mm. especially Japan, Korea, and and China. You know, there's a lot of talent. So um, I could have stopped. I could have said, you know what? I've seen it before. It's crap. It's all the same. But we're in the business of evolution. Uh, being filmmakers ourselves you always have to see what's out there and what's going on and keep relevant yeah and you will be pleasantly surprised you'll find yourself watching something going ah this is really amazing and getting into it you know and that's where the alternative perspective comes in if you write everything off you lose something good in the process if you participate in cancel culture essentially that's the equivalent of not being open-minded well i also feel like current days and the current state of affairs is there's a lot of effort into finding context and people just have lost the effort. You know, they're, they're, they're quicker 
I feel people think knowledge is sourced out of a two-line sentence as opposed to the entire paragraph. And I feel like mm. you should all have the information out there. You have to read the whole book, not just the blurb. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's just, you know, listen to the audio book. It's so much better. But I'm, Gotta I'm, choose your personal <laughs> format. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is where, you know, this is, I don't want to sound contradictory to my own plight because I really hate telling people what they should do and shouldn't do. But I think the mass majority of, of us around the world are kind of baffled by everything we're reading because it's such a focus on a pack of people who cannot be shifted. It, it you know, I don't want to say this as a term, but there's no better term for it. If you're a born again religious person, it's almost impossible to have a conversation a respectful conversation with differing opinions the, the even better example would be richard dawkins who's like the face of atheism mm. you know like basically you can't talk to him about any theological construct because he will literally say no don't don't agree with it yeah you know? he's so set in that perspective yeah, and that's not academics mm. academics was always prove me wrong yeah this is what i believe but prove me wrong and i'll be open-minded and if you do I've grown. Yeah, right. So I never, it's Socrates, right? Mm -hmm. I never lose the argument. Yeah, you just ask the questions. I never lose the argument. So my opinion right now that I'm saying to you, I think I'm right. But when you prove me wrong, I'll just say, but I've learned. Mm -hmm. So I'm still right. <laughs> so it's always containing the moral high ground, but being right, you know? And I just think we're better off as people having a discussion and also being proven wrong. Because it, it redefines your intelligence. If you have all the answers to everything, is there a point? You, you will never obtain total knowledge. Ever. Because the things we think today are disproven tomorrow, essentially. Mm. We're coming out of this time. And we're walking into better times where we can all travel again, see each other again, and, uh, say hello to each other, and give each other a long weighted hug that we haven't been able to do some of us have had on and off moments of that but i feel it's very positive to be able to travel again and hopefully with it all of these grave seemingly grave but are actually super trivial problems will just go mm -hmm. and we'll be uh part of history we'll be bored again i'm <laughs> talking about oh i hate it how the grass grows oh it annoy you it's always you cut it and then it's back oh it's like hair so with that what? if we do have any more controversial times that fits me into a rage or whatever i'll just deal with it and i'll talk to all of you about it but i i was just to close i was really 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 angry about the ludicrous kind of destruction of tsunami people. of reactions well one thing i will say is especially regarding because i'm basically trying to censor myself here but regarding what joe rogan has represented and done he's not perfect a lot of sometimes he finds himself in an echo chamber but he admits that over time he does he can do better in the sense of he can get people in to talk about things that he thinks are controversial just to educate him but i think he would do that i think he's open-minded enough to do that one thing that racks me off though is that mainstream media or what is termed as the legacy media of this day and age broadcast networks and stuff like this have the power and authority to completely manipulate narrative to make everyone drop a guy just because they see him as threatening i find that criminal 
and I really can't stand it. You know, it doesn't help that Joe Biden was an attorney, and it doesn't help that Joe Rogan, it's very difficult, Joe Biden, Joe Rogan, the Joes, it doesn't help that Joe Rogan has been extremely negative or mocking the president of the USA, which almost seems like you'd get beheaded. In, <laughs> You're inviting in, trouble. Yeah, in medieval England. <laughs> but, treason. but, you know, you can clearly see it. You can clearly see the connections working where they don't like what he's saying, so they're trying to chop him down. And I just want to put this out to every British person. Once one of the best people walking this earth, John Lennon, was assassinated in very controversial standings after being on the FBI's most wanted list for three or four years. I have massive issues with that. And I just don't want to relive it. I feel like every person alive should stand up to that kind of tyranny. Trying to understand each other, really, we can. And we try to, and we do. We'll be back in two weeks. So take care, everyone. Thanks for listening, and thanks for allowing me to have a moan. That's what I really like to say. Hopefully, we were entertaining at some point. I don't know. (laughs) But let us know. We'll be back in two weeks. Take care, everyone.